Hello and shalom from Jerusalem. This is uh, David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and our senior international spokesman. We're coming to you from the ICJ headquarters in the Israeli capital. And we've got a very, very important show today for our ICEJ weekly webinar. We're talking about the ongoing visit of US President Joe Biden to Israel and the Middle East. And we're so pleased to have Professor Eitan Gilboa with us. He's one of the Israel's leading experts on US-Israel relations, US policy towards the Middle East. And uh, we're just very pleased to have him. Let me just make a program note. If you're over on uh, the, uh, you, the, uh, the ICJ's YouTube channel, or on our Facebook Live platform right now, and you want to come over to the webinar to get translation. We currently have translation in Portuguese, Spanish, and Thai. We may have French or another language join us soon, but uh, this uh, the, you can get translation there. And otherwise, we want to get started. We have uh, Professor Gilboa for about the next half hour. And uh, just to try and make this a, as brief an introduction as I can, but he has quite the resume. Eitan Gilboa is uh, one of Israel's leading academics on U.S.-Israel relations. He studied, uh, was ma uh, magna cum laude at Hebrew University, and then earned a master's and a doctorate at Harvard. He's been professor of international communications at Bar-Ilan University for many years where he founded the Israel Public Diplomacy Forum. He also served as a scholar with uh, BESA, the Begin Sadat Center for Strategic Studies. He's now with the Jerusalem Institute for Strategic and Strategy and Security, many other hats that he wears, uh, but he's published more than a dozen books on the Middle East and lectured at numerous universities, Hebrew U, Harvard, UCLA, Georgetown, American University in DC, Tufts University, University of Hamburg. And currently he's lecturing at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles from where he is joining us now early in the morning. It's great to have you, Professor Gilboa. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yes. Now you're watching uh, uh, events uh, uh, unfold as Trump, I mean Biden, arrived yesterday, and uh, ha has uh, been going through various meetings, events, uh, a four-day visit after Israel will go to Saudi Arabia. But uh, you've had a long, uh, you know, you've been involved in this in your career for many, many years. And you know, sometimes it takes a few months before you can really discern where a, uh, an administration, an American administration's policies approach to Israel and the Middle East are going. We've had 18 months now as, as Biden arrives, you get a good picture of what he's trying to do. And many expected him to completely undo whatever Trump did and go back to say some of the Obama era policies of appeasing Iran, uh, bullying Israel into Palestinian statehood. Where do you see him going? Where's his course now, 18 months in and his first official visit here? The most important uh, part of this trip is uh, to, uh, to establish a regional defense system in the Middle East against Iran. So Iran, number one issue, 
It has been for a long time. And um, the talks uh, today uh, between, um, between Biden and the prime minister, the signing of the Jerusalem uh, declaration, and also a Zoom talk with the leaders of the United Arab Emirates and India are quite, uh, quite significant. Uh, the uh, the uh, visit in Israel is designed uh, to, uh, to continue uh, the Abraham Accords. So in this particular area, uh, Biden continues uh, the Trump's uh, policy on uh, creating and supporting uh, a defense system in the Middle East. Uh, and um, there is much agreement uh, between Israel and the United States and maybe uh, uh, most of the countries in the world that Iran should not become a nuclear power. The debate is on the proper means to achieve that goal. And here there is uh, some disagreement uh, between the two countries. Biden thinks that uh, return to the 2015 deal and diplomacy would do it. Israel thinks it's too late and um, it would not be effective in preventing Iran uh, from becoming a nuclear, uh, a nuclear um, state. Uh, and, and therefore Israel suggests that um, the, way, the way to do it is to stop negotiations. These negotiations have not been successful from the beginning. Iran dictated the terms of the negotiations. You don't, you don't deal with a terrorist state Ibrahim Raisi, the president of Iran, is a killer, is a murderer. He murdered many political prisoners and uh, he, should, he should have been outcast from, from uh, the international community uh, altogether. So the idea is, uh, Israel says, you need to stop negotiations, you need to impose harsher sanctions and you have to come up with a credible military option because without it, Iran, uh, Iran would be racing uh, to, uh, to, to the bomb. Yeah, now that's uh, the, the message of the caretaker Prime Minister Yair Lapid to him uh, today. And how, how much is there a consensus among Israeli political and military leaders concerning where Iran is in the process and whether an agreement uh, versus this credible military threat, uh, because there were reports that some intelli intelligence, uh, members of the intelligence community here in Israel were saying, you know, an agreement might be better. Yes, uh, but they are in the minority. Mm -hmm. And this is not just Israel. Uh, you know, uh, Obama said during his term that only Prime Minister Netanyahu opposed the deal. This, mm -hmm. was, this was not true. Uh, <laughs> both during his years and now, uh, the entire Sunni Arab world, all the Sunni Arab countries, as well as Israel, are threatened by Iran, are fearful of Iran, and have told the United States num numerous times that this is a major threat that has to be dealt with, that has to be contained. So, uh, so there is much consensus in not only in Israel, but also in the entire Middle East. And this is the main reason for the strategic conference that will uh, take place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, 
in a few days, uh, Biden will meet leaders of nine Arab countries. And the number one issue is going to be uh, this defense alliance that, um, that the countries of the Middle East want to accomplish. And uh, in the first stage, the idea is uh, what we call an air defense, an air defense system, uh, which is uh, designed to, uh, to uh, block Iranian rockets coming from Yemen by their protege, proxy uh, Houthis, uh, a Shiite group in, uh, in Yemen. And so rockets, uh, drones, and cyber, and, and cyber cyber attacks. This is this is the first thing, but um, uh, it seems also that uh, Saudi Arabia will upgrade relations with Israel. Not yet full normalization, but uh, everybody in the Middle East knows that without Saudi approval, there would be there would have been no Abraham Accords. Bahrain and United Arab Emirates would have not uh, uh, signed those agreements with Israel. But now uh, the main uh, progress, the main addition to the Abraham Accords is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia will, will not uh, do it fast. It will take much time and effort to get normalization with Saudi Arabia. But I think the first steps will be established in the, during this visit. Uh, two things, number one, Saudi Arabia will allow passenger planes to go from Israel to Asia over uh, the airspace, the Saudi airspace. Number two, Saudi Arabia will allow charter flights to go directly for Arabs, for Israeli Arabs who want to go uh, to Mecca, direct flights, uh, this would this never happen. Also, I need to say that Biden himself will travel from Israel to Saudi Arabia direct never happened before. So we see some signs of, uh, of improvement in Saudi-Israel relations. And obviously, Saudi membership in that defense alliance is very important and very critical because Saudi Arabia is one of the most richest and the most powerful states in the entire region. Are you surprised that Biden ha has embraced uh, the Abraham Accords and decided to help build upon the momentum, even though they're so identified with Trump? Well, I have to tell you that uh, at the beginning of uh, Biden's administration, many of us were not sure yes. what his approach uh, to the Abraham Accords would be, uh, mainly because of the criticism coming from the so-called progressive branch of his, uh, of his uh, party. Uh, I've been following them. Uh, they have no idea what they are talking about. <laughs> uh, in one sense, they were talking about uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the uh, crown prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, about his role in the murder of uh, the... Uh, U.S. Saudi uh, journalist uh, Jamal Khashoggi, and they were complaining about human rights uh, violations. They talked about all the countries in the Gulf as, uh, as um, uh, dictatorships of, of, of a sort. Uh, but Biden is going to, to Saudi Arabia to Kanasa because he criticized 
severely criticized Mohammed bin Salman, we call him MBS, and uh, completely uh, alienated him, didn't want to talk to him, didn't want to, didn't want to invite him to Washington. So what happened? Uh, the war in Ukraine happened. And uh, the sanctions um, uh, the United States and the West imposed on Russia um, uh, increased the price of oil. Uh, by then, needs Saudi Arabia and the Persian Gulf uh, countries to increase oil. So Saudi Arabia said, well, if this is the case, you have to, recon you have to reconcile with us. You have to come to visit us and we have to repair relations and see where morality is. So uh, moral, mor moral values in international relations are important, but uh, strategic goals are much more important. So if you just limit yourself to be a nice guy in the jungle that we live in today, this would not take you uh, far enough. Hmm. Do you think uh, another fallout from the Ukraine war, for me, the big lesson there is that uh, a despot or authoritarian regime, if it is allowed to operate under a credible nuclear umbrella, it can do a lot of damage with conventional weapons and NATO doesn't want to engage in that direct conflict and trigger a nuclear exchange. And if Iran, I, do you think Biden, the Biden team has realized if Iran were to get nuclear weapons, they could do a lot more damage and, and uh, mischief in this region than they've been even doing before. Yes, uh, yes, obviously. Uh, and I think you are quite right. I think that the war in Ukraine uh, is affecting almost everything in world affairs. There are many lessons to be learned, especially you don't trust dictators. I think the West made a huge mistake by trusting Putin and, um, and um, uh, trading with him to the point where Germany was 50% dependent on, uh, on Russian oil and gas. And uh, they were very surprised to see him uh, take uh, the Krimai Peninsula back in 2014. And even more surprised when he decided a few months ago to invade and occupy parts of, of Ukraine. But I want to emphasize something that is very important. And that is, we are witnessing the emergence of two major strategic axes in the region. The one is uh, the good guys. Uh, it's Israel, the Sunni Arab countries, and the United States. Not yet the European Union and NATO. They are mm. still, still slipping, but there is another emerging uh, axis, this is the bad guys. And uh, you may call them uh, the axis of evil. And they include Iran, Russia, and China. Mm -hmm. Putin is going to be next week in Tehran. He is going to buy drones, like mm -hmm. attack drones from Iran. So Iran is participating in the war in Ukraine helping Russia. China, a few months ago, signed a strategic agreement with Iran for 25 years. This was just uh, back in March 20, uh, 2022. So, and this uh, agreement allows China 
to uh, to deploy 5,000 security people inside Iran and also to share intelligence and uh, perhaps even uh, develop together some military equipment. So, uh, so uh, from the U.S. perspective, if China is the number one threat to American uh, influence uh, in, in the world, then uh, Iran, this axis where Iran plays a major role, uh, it becomes even more significant. And so, so uh, the strategic alliance to be, to be ushered in uh, in a few days is designed against Iran, but also against China and Russia. Uh, and this is directly connected to, uh, to the uh, war in Ukraine. Yeah, we know Iran has this uh, expanding arsenal of different kinds of drones. I saw reports that a lot of the parts come from China and they're put together in Iran and, and Russia, rather than get them straight from China, Iran's the middleman. But you, you mentioned the, the, the good guys alliance and the bad guys uh, axis. Uh, Recep Tayyip uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, is going to show up in Tehran also to meet with Putin and with the president of Iran. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? He's in the middle. Yeah. Uh, he's in the middle. Uh, he has been a bad guy. Uh, because of the Islamic dictatorship that he moved uh, Turkey into. Uh, but he's there because uh, there is some dispute uh, between Turkey and Syria on a piece of territory in northern Syria, which uh, Russia can help him uh, to, either, to, to, to either influence uh, there or to have more influence there or even to annex it. Turkey for many years wanted to get back that area in northern Syria. So this is the reason he is there. He is not, since he, he provides Ukraine with attack drones. There's a whole factory in Ukraine that produces Turkish attack drones. So, so this is really funny because Iran will supply Russia and Turkey is supplying uh, drones to, to Ukraine. I don't consider Erdogan to be to be like a full member of that bad guys axis. It's more China, Russia, and and Iran, and uh, but he 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 is playing his games even with Israel. So I I it's difficult to trust him. Yeah, it's strange. They, Turkey's a member of NATO. What's he going to be doing in Iran meeting with Putin next week? And uh, why is Putin meeting with a member of NATO like this? Um, we, we're mentioning drones a lot, and Israel has had some success in some of the Iranian attempts to penetrate Israeli territory with drones that, say, the Saudis and others haven't had. So can you just speak for a moment about Israel's capabilities that the contributions it can make to this regional air defense uh, and and uh, how far out does Israel's radar reach I guess you've got satellites and everything you can you got a lot of eyes all over the Middle East yes Israel has the most sophisticated and advanced uh, air defense system in the entire world not just in the Middle yeah. East and yesterday 
uh, Biden, immediately after his landing, he yeah. was uh, taken to an exhibition of all the systems that Israel uh, has developed. Uh, the Arrow 3, David Sling, Iron Dome, and the new Iron Beam laser weapon. Ah, the laser beam thing is the most important. I yeah. think one of the, uh, of the uh, issues on the agenda today was getting the United States uh, to help uh, financing uh, this system. It's mm -hmm. supposed to be fully operational in about two years, but we don't have time. Uh, Israel Defense Minister Gantz uh, mm -hmm. said uh, two days ago that Israel has been selling weapons to Sunni Arab countries uh, worth uh, no less than $3 billion. Mm. And these countries are very much interested in the, in the Israeli defense systems, uh, air defense systems. And I think this is going to be uh, a major part uh, in the discussion, uh, in the strategic conference in, in Jeddah. And, uh, and simply because these countries, these countries are being uh, attacked by Iranian, by Iranian, uh, Iranian uh, forces and, 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 need, and need help and need defense. So, um, and Israel is, is happy to share uh, those uh, defense systems with, uh, with Arab countries uh, against Iranian aggression. Uh, and I think uh, in the next few months, we will see that uh, happen. I also think that Israel, no, Europe, NATO suddenly uh, is uh, waking up and they also need those uh, types of weapons. And so I think in the next uh, year, the next year, maybe the next two years, uh, the Israeli military industry is going to get uh, many orders. And this is good because you have to export. Israel is, is too small. It has to depend on exports of military hardware uh, to other countries in order to finance, its, to finance its own, to fund its own production of military yeah. equipment. Uh, so, and this will also uh, improve uh, the uh, military and security relations with members of the emerging Middle East Defense uh, Alliance. Mm -hmm. um, the, let's uh, just switch in the time that we have left with you to the whole uh, Israeli-Palestinian uh, peace track, which for me, it seems that, that uh, Biden because he's so weak at home, the polls show historic lows in approval rating, high inflation, that he needs some easy wins. The Palestinian uh, track is not ripe for any sort of real movement, but he is making some gestures to uh, help mend some of the bruised feelings the Palestinians have after Trump uh, sidelined them in many ways. And uh, are you troubled by any of these gestures? Not much. Uh, the Palestinians are completely marginal, marginalized in, in this uh, in this trip. Biden said yesterday that the United States uh, supports the two-state solution. This has been a standard American position for a long time. But he also added he does not see that uh, realized soon. This yeah. was important. So tomorrow he's going to meet uh, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, the uh, leader of the Palestinian Authority in Bethlehem. 
uh, the Palestinians were complaining that while he is spending uh, two two days in in Israel, they only he only gave them about one hour and a half. But I don't think they deserve even that. No. Uh, this this is a small gesture. So tomorrow he will go to to a hospital in Augusta, Victoria. The United States used to give this hospital twenty five million dollars a, a year. They support also other. Uh, hospitals uh, in, in Jerusalem. Some Israelis are a little bit concerned about it because the first this is the first time an American president go to East Jerusalem, but he wanted uh, to reopen. Without an Israeli official uh, accompanying him. Yeah, He's yeah, a president. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but he wanted to, uh, to uh, open the uh, a consulate in Jerusalem for the Palestinians. Uh, this is ridiculous because mm. uh, this this means uh, simply undermining the transfer of the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biden said, I'm not going to get back uh, the embassy to Tel Aviv, but the United States does not have an embassy and a consulate in, 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 in one city anywhere in the world. So mm-hmm. he wanted to open that consulate as a political system, as a political statement. Uh, Israel said, yeah, you can, if you are concerned about consular services to the Palestinians, you can open the consulate in Ramallah. Uh, you can yes. open it in even Abu Dis, which is a village uh, next to Jerusalem. Why, why, why in Jerusalem itself? So this is a political statement. Israel said, no, the Palestinians also wanted to, to, uh, uh, to place their own security forces on the, on the border, on, on border stations uh, between Israel and Jordan. Israel said no. So, and they were complaining all the time. They know they know only to complain. They don't do anything. They have missed many opportunities. They are so stupid, it's hard to believe because they could have joined the Abraham Accords. Instead, they were fighting Trump. They were fighting the Abraham Accords. They are very angry at the Arab countries because the Abraham Accords broke a, a, a major uh, tenet of the Palestinian strategy. There would be no normalization, no peace between Israel and the Arab countries before there is a peace with the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sunni Arab countries decided that this is not, that the Palestinians no longer would be uh, exercising a veto power on their own interests. So they are continuing, uh, uh, they are continuing to, to struggle among themselves you have, you have the Palestinian Authority, uh, you have Hamas. They cannot agree between themselves. How can they, they, they agree with Israel? So when I'm telling that Europeans, they don't even know what Hamas is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also in the United States, they are too much, uh, they, are, they fantasize too much about the real chances of, uh, of getting uh, peace between Israel and the Palestinians. It will take a long time. And uh, I believe that it will happen, if at all, only if the Palestinians will conclude that there is no chance uh, to overcome Israel, that, that there is no chance to eliminate Israel, and, and that they run the risk of being eliminated themselves in the sense that um, I happen to believe that they have proven since uh, the Oslo Accords that they are incapable of running a real state. This is a... Th- the Palestinian Authority is a failed government. Mm. So the solution perhaps has to be found 
in some kind of an, uh, an association with Jordan, where about 75% of the people are of Palestinian origins to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the original uh, palace, the, the partition plan by the UN is two states, but with an economic union or another, and the idea would be expanded to a confederation with Jordan where it wasn't full autonomy. Um, look, I have uh, one more question. I think uh, uh, the time you agreed to share with us is almost up, but it, it, okay. I think for a lot of our Christian viewers here, uh, this is an important question. When the Abraham Accords were first uh, signed, they first the news broke. It was a big breakthrough, but there were rumors that there was some secret annex uh, concerning uh, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Uh, no Israeli official has ever been able to confirm that. No, none of the sources I talked to. Uh, but I always felt that if the Saudis really started opening up to Israel, uh, opening ties and all, then there would have to be some sort of compromise. That would be the moment where Israel would have incentive to perhaps make a compromise on Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, in order to bring the Saudis into the circle of peace and reconciliation. Do you know or are you aware of anything in that regard? No, I'm not aware. But I can tell you that, um, that there is some competition among no less than three states about uh, custody, so to speak, of the Temple Mount. Yes. It's the Palestinians, yes. it is Jordan, and it and is Morocco. Saudi Arabia. And even and from Morocco time, also? Yeah, Morocco, Morocco was the chair of the Jerusalem Conference, so to speak. But In Saudi Arabia... Yes. Saudi Arabia says that they have responsibility for all the holy places of Islam. Mm -hmm. So since Mecca and Medina are located in Saudi Arabia, they claim to to be the custodian also of the temple of of, of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's not it's not really the Temple Mount. So uh, so um, uh, Jordan has been given, I think it was a mistake by Israeli Minister of Defense at the time, Jordan was given a role in in the Temple Mount. In the the Israel-Jordan Peace Treaty. Yeah, not even before that. Uh, We we can go to to the period immediately after the uh, 67 war. But I think uh, that Israel is interested uh, in, ha- in, in having a, a Saudi role as well. And the idea here is to simply, to ne- first of all, to neutralize the Palestinians who they think should be the sole guardian of, mm-hmm. of, of the Temple Mount. So, and they are distributing all kinds of lies about Al-Aqsa in danger. Uh, they do it, uh, some Israeli, ex- uh, extreme Israeli Arabs are doing it as well. So there might be here uh, uh, some kind of a joint interest, Saudi-Israeli interest, in giving Saudi Arabia some role. I don't know. I don't know if it exists. Uh, well, the, Abra- the Abraham Accords. Uh, Saudi was outside the Abraham Accords. But if there, if there, uh, if there would be uh, a peace agreement between Saudi Arabia and Israel, which I think is just a matter of time. It will take time, but it, but it will happen because of all the advantages of 
that kind of an accord compared to, to not having it, uh, that, uh, that perhaps one uh, article or one element there uh, will address uh, Saudi role in the Temple Mount. And I do not necessarily consider that to be a bad role. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's an important issue to follow. And uh, we just thank you for your time. Thank you again for joining us and for joining us so early in the morning there. And we're all going to be follow, following as Biden uh, winds up his uh, trip here this evening. Right now he's over uh, watching the opening of the Maccabi Games, all the uh, Jewish athletes from around the world. It's a great time. Uh, and then uh, he'll spend, uh, like you say, part of the morning with the, uh, over at Augusta Victoria Hospital or Mount of Olives in East Jerusalem and down in Bethlehem with uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas before he flies off to Riyadh. A very uh, important trip. We thank you for helping us understand this and uh, you are uh, free to, to, to go and we'll continue here. Thank you, Professor Goboa. Yes, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this, uh, in this show. I must tell you that there were no surprises so far Yes, and and I don't think there are going to be. I would be very surprised if there are going to be surprises coming mm -hmm. out uh, from that uh, trip. I think that this trip uh, was postponed. It was uh, supposed yeah. to have been um, uh, to have occurred about a yes. month ago, and yes. I think the reason for that, the reason for that was that it was not yet ripe uh, mm -hmm. for for coming here. So it's it's very well prepared. Uh, all the subjects are known in advance. Even the joint statements uh, uh, have, have been written in advance. I, I need to say that tomorrow, uh, the only thing is that the Palestinians did, did not agree with uh, Biden. They are not going to issue tomorrow a joint statement because they demanded from, yes. from Biden to support a Palestinian state with its capital in East Jerusalem. Hmm. So there is no limit to their to their um, uh, to their chutzpah, and hmm. the United States refused to do so. So they said, "Okay, uh, we will." So there would be no joint statement. And I need also to say, uh, the Palestinians uh, hate the United States hmm. uh, for all kinds of reasons, unjustify unjustifiably. Uh, the United States uh, is giving them Biden restored. Like a don uh, like a four hundred fifty million dollars to the Palestinian Authority, another five four hundred fifty million dollars to UNRWA, this corrupt uh, refugee mm -hmm. agency, and so uh, they have nothing to complain about. But they are complaining all the time. They <laughs> present themselves as victims all the time, and this works uh, on 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 the European Union, and and it works also on some people in the United States. Uh, they have no idea what the real situation is. They don't even know that much of that money the United States gives to the Palestinian Authority goes to private pockets. All, all of the leaders are very rich people and they go to convicted terrorists who get mm -hmm. salaries uh, uh, from the Palestinian Authority in violation of, of an American law. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And uh, I hope to be able to talk to you again sometime in the future. Okay, yeah, Dennis Ross called it the politics of grievance, that you yeah. keep getting money because you keep complaining about all the wrongs 
done to you. But uh, we really appreciate your time and, and all the best and hope to uh, have you on again. Thank you, Professor okay. Eitan Gilboa from Barlon University and right now lecturing at uh, University of Southern California in Los Angeles. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to uh, just sort of wind up over the next 10, 15 minutes with a few more thoughts on uh, the Biden visit. I think when we started out, I talked about how many expected uh, Joe Biden because he had been vice president under uh, Barack Obama, that when he came into office, he was going to undo all that Trump had done, and not only domestically, but even in foreign policy, including the Middle East, and return to some of the uh, Biden era policies in the region. Of course, Trump had been very pro-Israel. He recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. He recognized the Golan as sovereign Israeli territory. Uh, and uh, he shuttered the PLO mission in Washington. He shut down this sort of independent uh, US consulate on a Grand Street in West Jerusalem, not even East Jerusalem that served as a diplomatic mission to the Palestinians. He cut off funding to the Palestinians. A lot of them, they had a lot of grievances against Trump. And so, you know, people expected Biden to bring a lot, uh, to undo a lot Trump had done and go back to Obama-era policies 18 months in. Uh, I'm a little surprised at it, but Biden has set something of a middle course. He is here trying to make some gestures towards the Palestinians, uh, promising we're going to open some sort of consulate for you, uh, uh, visiting Augusta Victoria in this symbolic visit without any Israeli officials accompanying, that's sort of breaking a, a taboo. Uh, meeting with Abbas, uh, the Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, down in Bethlehem. But we have to remember that uh, the meeting's not taking place in Ramallah. And there's probably a reason for that, because uh, if you visit Abbas in Ramallah as a foreign leader, you are expected to go uh, pay homage uh, at the grave of Yasser Arafat, lay a wreath, whatever, listen to their national anthem, whatever it is they, they do there. And Biden wanted to avoid those sort of uh, optics in this visit. So he's meeting with him in Bethlehem, and that's kind of a, a slight in itself. So the Palestinians are not very happy about this. Uh, uh, Biden is really uh, reinforcing the strength of the U.S.-Israel relationship, and it seems that he's uh, embraced the um, Abraham Accords, uh, even though it's so identified with Trump uh, and expanding, uh, you know, it's had a lot of uh, economic investment, cultural exchange, diplomatic, a lot of those aspects of the Abraham Accords, but there's also this military aspect that is, is being revealed slowly by slowly what is developing, but Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz and uh, affirmed, confirmed by U.S. officials, uh, they have uh, all been talking about some of the military uh, expansion of the Abraham Accords and, and uh, also it uh, tried to draw the Saudis into it, even to the point where there were reports saying that Israel was going to um, offer the Saudis this new laser-based 
iron beam. It's beyond the iron dome. This iron beam is a laser. It's a lot cheaper than iron dome to shoot down mortars. They've even been using it over recent months to shoot down some of these fire balloons and, and fire kites coming from Hamas in Gaza. And they're trying to improve it, make it stronger so it can hit aircraft, incoming cruise missiles, right down to rockets, shorter range rockets and mortars and drones and without the expense, uh, the extra expense of, of sending up, um, you know, counter rockets, trying to hit a bullet with a bullet. Here you're trying to hit a bullet with a beam of energy, electro, uh, electrical pulse that melts it, destroys it, sets it off, triggers it in midair. And this is uh, quite a de uh, development. Uh, that even the Saudis who are getting hit from Yemen by Iranian rockets that they're supplying to their uh, proxy uh, Houthi militia there that have been hitting Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia is very vulnerable to it. And you had this a uh, couple of years ago in the Eastern oil fields in Saudi Arabia, a coordinated strike of um, a, a drone swarm that showed up uh, of munitions that uh, uh, were, you know, self-armed. They attacked the oil facilities there. At the same time, some cruise missiles struck and uh, did a lot of damage. And I think this is part of what is driving the Saudis towards Israel, because Israel has these cutting-edge technologies uh, that they've been developing for decades. The whole uh, Arrow 3, it's now beyond Arrow 2 to Arrow 3, which I think a lot of, there's a lot of proof that it's more effective than the U.S. Patriot 3 missile, anti-missile defense system to shoot down long-range missiles. The David Sling, which is intermediate, and then the more short range is Iron Dome, and now this Iron Beam, we don't know exactly how much range it has. If it gets more funding to develop it further, it could hit all sorts and, and supplement it. The radar systems that go with all these uh, are really advanced. They're better than even what the Americans have in some ways, the Green Pine radar and such. And to offer this and integrate it into a Middle East uh, defense shield, a whole grid or network to be prepared for any Iranian uh, drone attack, missile attack, rockets, any threat coming from any direction from this alliance. It really shows that uh, Biden is, is embracing this momentum the, and building on the momentum of the Abraham Accords. That's something of a surprise after Obama shunned him so much. I think that uh, Obama was a bit of an ideologue. I wrote in the Jerusalem Post um, a couple years ago about how, because uh, Obama grew up with a Muslim father and then a Muslim stepfather, he had a lot more uh, benign view or benevolent view of Islam as a religion. And he sort of had this dream of reconcile that, that historic bitter schism between Sunni and uh, Shia Islam uh, through Iran and a nuclear deal with them and <clears throat> through the Muslim Brotherhood who he helped empower in Egypt to overthrow Mubarak. Obama did this. But Joe Biden is not quite the ideologue. He doesn't quite have such 
rose glasses towards uh, Islam. He's a, he's been in the Senate a long time in Washington. He was a cold warrior. He sees uh, Russia now uh, rising again to sort of reestablish its empire that it had in Soviet times or or back before World War One, the Russian Empire then. And he's uh, decided to to uh, befriend once again <clears throat> the regional uh, Arab powers, especially the Saudis, even though just uh, in his election campaign, he called Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman a pariah, that he wouldn't meet with him. He was an ostracized, and yet he's going to meet with him. He needs him to get uh, an increase in oil uh, because of the sanctions against Russia over the Ukraine conflict, and he needs him to help stand up and create a this uh, regional air defense shield against the Iranian conventional threat as part of dealing with the Iranian nuclear threat. And whether this helps, uh, is it, this is going to help drive this forging alliance of Israel and all these regional Arab powers is going to maybe draw Iran back to the negotiating table, make some compromises to protect its nuclear program. We'll, we'll have to see that's something that's going to play out over coming weeks. But uh, some of the rhetoric and some of the decisions and actions of recent weeks and, and during the visit so far, uh, Biden has, has assured he would use military force as a last resort, but I think he's helping, uh, it's very clear he's helping Israel and these other Arab powers prepare to meet the Iranian challenge on their own as best they can before uh, uh, any American intervention is needed, and that's good. And then on the Palestinian front, uh, you know, um, Obama was really bullying uh, uh, Israel to cave in to creation of a Palestinian state. If you remember, as the Obama leave, uh, administration was leaving, they were really bitter, especially towards Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at the time, uh, that he hadn't caved to their pressure. And uh, John Kerry, uh, Secretary of State at the time had that really embittered speech uh, in his farewell at the U.S. State Department and the whole decision to allow passage in the U.N. Security Council of a very tough resolution against Israel, declaring all the areas of the um, uh, uh, in, in the disputed territories as occupied Palestinian territory. If that's the case, then there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to negotiate at all belongs to the Palestinians. John Kerry is in the current Biden administration. Biden was vice president when Obama made those decisions. Here you have some members, I think, of Biden's administration who want to be tougher on Israel, but he recognizes he and his team, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, Tony Blinken, the foreign, the, the Secretary of State, they realize, look, the Abraham Accords are a success. They're bearing good fruit for the region, for stability, for America, for the world, for the free flow of oil in so many ways that they've embraced them. And the Palestinian cause is sort of getting 
uh, a second uh, shift. It's, it's been relegated to a back burner and the Palestinians are not so happy about it. They're getting a couple gestures here, but again, they're, they're kind of, of hollow. Uh, this visit to this Augusta Victoria hospital uh, on the Mount of Olives, the US has helped fund it. The Germans built it uh, over a century ago. Uh, it, it treats a lot of people. It's kind of benign for a president to visit a hospital. Um, and his wife, Jill Biden, has had a connection to that hospital for, uh, I believe, more than a decade now. So I, I'm not so concerned that he's visiting it without any Israeli officials. It's a symbolic gesture to the Palestinians, but uh, it'll, I think it'll be easily forgotten. The fact that he's in a uh, meeting with Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian leader in Bethlehem, and not Ramallah, not one to you know, have this photo op at the grave of Yasser Arafat, that's an important uh, move uh, there. And this, this uh, whole thing of a US consulate uh, to uh, uh, reopening a, a separate US mission or consulate to the Palestinian Authority somewhere in Jerusalem, it's not quite a done deal yet, and the Palestinians are really sh shooting themselves in the foot uh, so many times with their maximalist demands, even in this atmosphere. And really, the message from these Arab countries, including the Saudis now, is if the Palestinians do not get to a point of genuinely wanting to make peace with Israel, history is going to pass them by. And uh, it doesn't mean that the whole Palestinian cause is, is now uh, dormant or whatever. Sometimes they would will resort to violence and who knows what would happen in that case. We hope it, it doesn't happen in any sort of large scale. And we pray for protection of Israel. But uh, again, I'm a little surprised that that Biden isn't pushing Israel more. But again, Israel uh, itself is in an election season. Normally, a U.S. president wouldn't visit at this time so that, you know, he wouldn't tip the scales one way or the other. We don't know if his visit and meetings with uh, Yair Lapid as caretaker prime minister are going to help in the upcoming elections. He also is meeting with, uh, he's met with Benjamin Netanyahu as well to sort of bring some balance to it. Uh, Netanyahu's still the opposition leader here. Uh, but Israel just does not have a government with a, um, a mandate to govern. Uh, th that's been the case for three and a half years now with a clear mandate from the people and, uh, and much less uh, a, a, a government with a mandate to make major concessions to the Palestinians. So Biden and his team have recognized the Palestinian track is simply not right, ripe for any real movement right now. They're not pressuring Israel. They've come to strengthen Israel against the Iranian threat by opening, uh, helping to open doors, helping to build this military air defense, military alliance with some of these uh, Abraham Accord countries, which of course also include Egypt and Jordan. They had original peace treaties with Israel, but they were sort of cold peace 
that is warming up uh, more. And so overall, I think there are good things coming out of this visit for Israel and even for uh, my country, America, even though I have many disagreements with Biden on many, many other issues. These are all things to pray about, all things to keep uh, monitoring. Uh, I especially, uh, we prayed about it in yesterday's global prayer gathering about, you know, it seems there's a, um, a temptation if the Saudis are coming in to some sort of um, peace agreement, reconciliation with Israel, opening ties, normalizing ties, that that's probably uh, a moment if, if Israel uh, ever had some incentive or reason to really make a compromise on Jerusalem and particularly the Temple Mount, this might be the time where uh, some outside uh, influence might try to force that. If you see the European Union finally getting involved here in that or Vatican or whatever, you know, that should be concerning. Um, but uh, so far, we haven't seen, haven't had anything confirmed about some sort of compromise on Jerusalem and the Temple Mount by Israel, but it is something to keep watching. We're going to end it there with today's webinar on the Biden visit. Uh, we thank you for joining us on the ICEJ weekly webinar today. We're going to be here next week. On Thursday at 4 p.m. Israel time, same time, with another webinar. I will still to decide the topic and the guest, but please join us then. We have the global prayer gathering next Wednesday, 4 p.m. Israel time. Please join us then uh, as we join hundreds of Christians from all over the world praying for Israel, the Middle East, for revival in your own country. And of course, uh, I can't leave here without mentioning the upcoming Feast of Tabernacles. You want to join us here in Israel, the land of promise, Jerusalem. Come show your solidarity with Israel. Come celebrate and worship Jesus with believers from all over the world after two years of not being able to come. It is time to come up and ascend to Jerusalem to worship the King here, October 9 through 16 here in Jerusalem. Help us uh, by coming and lifting your voice to worship the Lord here in Jerusalem. God bless you from Zion. Thank you.